0: Lock Talk Radio.
1: Driving on night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a the voice in my
0: head that drives my heel.
1: With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My
0: baby, calling and I need you here.
1: And John Harlow. And
0: it's a half past four, and I'm shifting gear. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with SpeedwayMedia.com, John Harlow. Another great episode we have for you. We'll review the Folds for Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway because Lowski won his 22nd race, although Kevin Harvick added the car of the day. We'll also talk about the news of the day. Las Vegas Motor Speedway gets a second date on the 2018 NASCAR Spring Cup, or NASCAR, excuse me, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series schedule. i will put a dollar in the jar. Um, also, we'll break down the uh, cr- penalties Crew Chiefs got a penalty this weekend uh, after Atlanta And we'll talk about the five Hall of Fame nominees And we'll take your phone calls 917 here If you want to in talking circles tonight For anything you want to talk about But first, John, it was the Folds of Honor's Quick Trip 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway Kizlowski was the winner Harvick had the dominant car of the day but a late speeding penalty lost Kevin Harvick the victory. Your thoughts?
1: Well, if you really think about it, yeah, Harvick lost on the penalty. But everybody seemed to be getting nailed for speeding. 13 different penalties for speeding on pit row. Kenseth twice, Junior twice. I mean, they weren't just every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there. These were the big guns of NASCAR who were getting speeding penalties on Sunday. And it's weird that there were very few penalties at Daytona. There weren't that many speeding penalties in the Xfinity race on Saturday. But Harvick just tried to get a little wee bit more on pit road when he didn't really need to because he had the dominant car of the day. I mean, every time I checked in, because I was in and out on Sunday, but every time you checked in, Harvick's leading, Harvick's leading, Harvick's leading by four seconds. Harvick's leading. Nobody's close to him. Harvick's leading. I mean, you think about it, Brad Keselowski had a speeding penalty, then he had the loose wheel. Uh, Junior had two speeding penalties. Kansas had speeding penalties. So it wound up the penalty cost Harvick because he got it at the wrong time. If he had got that penalty 10 laps earlier, Harvick would have came back and wound up winning the race because he went from the tail end of the field up to ninth place in the last 15 laps. Give him another 10 laps, he gets through the field because – After the speeding penalty, I mean, he just had the class. There was nobody close to that car on Sunday. And without a doubt, Harvick just lit up the show. Um, Kozlowski had a good car. The flat tire, I mean, the loose wheel wound up working out perfect for him because he got to the point where He needed to be wound up catching up to the field and Harvick speeding penalty, put him back on the inside lane, which made it all better. Got him a chance at the bottom. A nice battle with him and Kyle Larson at the end for the, the victory for Brad Keselowski. It looks like we're experiencing some sort of technical difficulties with Clayton's feed right now. Um, more more talking about the race as we look at how Sunday went. You didn't hear much out of Joey Logano. You didn't hear a whole lot out of Denny Hamlin. Kyle Bush struggles again. Uh, the Toyotas have not been strong this year. The new nose, you're wondering what kind of impact that has had on the cars. So it turns out to be an interesting race in Atlanta on Sunday, the, full, the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. And it just wound up being an interesting race. Okay, so it looks like um, Clayton's struggling, having more technical difficulties, so let's keep trying to get through this thing. It looks like Lee in Virginia... We hopefully is going to be calling in here in a little bit. We're expecting Lee. Lee, good good evening. Welcome to Talking in Circles. Um, Thanks for joining us tonight. Looks like Clayton's having some issues at his end. It turned out to be a pretty big news day today with Vegas getting the second race. It's going to take the date away from New Hampshire in the fall, which kind of breaks my heart because that was a nice little birthday present for me. But if you're Bruton and Marcus Smith, you're going to take $2.5 million each year of why you're going to do that. We also had SiriusXM announcing a new six-year deal with NASCAR to extend NASCAR Radio. We have the new uh, Hall of Fame nominees, and we also had the penalties from today. So, Lee, lots of stuff to talk about. What, which one do you want to hit first? Do you want to hit the Vegas getting the second date? You want to hit the penalties? You want to hit the Hall of Fame? It's up to you, bud.
0: We'll talk about. I'll we'll talk about the. Uh, I'll talk about the Las Vegas deal first here. Um, to me, it's unfortunate for people in. in Uh, in New Hampshire, and in in the New England area. Because, John, for years we've heard, and this reminds me a lot of North Wilkesboro, and I know it was 21 years ago, and we're never going back to North Wilkesboro North Carolina. I understand that. I think there's fans in North Carolina that still don't understand that, but they need to understand that. But the reason why everybody was so up in arms about that, when they left Rockingham, I think people understood why. Nobody was going to that racetrack. The attendance was, was down. I think people understood why they were leaving Rockingham, North Carolina. But for years, John, you know, with this, with Iowa now having a track and people enjoying the racing that's going on there, you hear people that work for, you know, that, that that cover the sport that say, okay, well, you want a date, show up and you'll get a date. Well, John, the people in new England have shown up constantly. They've shown up there. Um, you know, they, they've, they've proven that they, want that they want racing there. And, and guess what? They still got a date taken away from them. So to me, there's a lot more to it than just showing up, and I understand that you know Bruton and Marcus Smith can't turn down that money from Las Vegas, and I get that, I really do. But to me, there's other race tracks you could have done this to, and you know there's a, there's uh, already a plethora of intermediate tracks on the schedule. The last thing we need is to take away a mile track, mile long track, and add a two uh, another one and a half cookie cutter whatever you want to call it intermediate mile track and that's what we're going to have in the chase and to me it's just that's another thing that we just can't have. I'm sorry, we just can't do it. I'm hoping by 2018 in the in the playoffs the Fall Charlotte race is turned into a road course by that point. But uh if it's not, you'll have a you'll have even more intermediates uh in the in the playoffs and I'm not sure how good that is for the sport.
1: Well, the one thing I'm looking at, I was at the Fall Race at New Hampshire this past year. And it was the perfect setup. It was a sunny 70-degree day. The Red Sox were out of town. The Patriots were out of town. And 40,000 seats at Loudon were not sold. It was half empty for a a playoff race when you're coming off of the big, uh, getting everything started in Chicago, second race of the playoffs. It was a perfect setup to have a full house at Loudoun and it just wasn't there. And Loudoun, New Hampshire can't, I mean, their city budget, if it's two and a half million dollars would surprise me. So to try to get two and a half million dollars a year out of Loudoun, New Hampshire, that was never going to happen for Bruton. The one thing that kind of bothers me is Bruton always said from the minute he, he bought the track, as long as you sell the tickets, we're going to keep going. And he didn't really market it as well as you'd think he would want to. And he, he always had that second date in Vegas. He always wanted it. He always had his heart set on and it sort of was an empty promise that if you sell tickets, because they were sold out three years ago, the last couple of years, the fall race is back down on attendance, but it is pretty good racing up there. The place where I would have rather them seen them take the race away from was Dover. But the problem is with that is they're not going to Speedway Media. I mean, I'm sorry. Speedway um, Motorsports is not going to get a track from Dover Motorsports. They're going to SMI is going to have to take it from one of their own. They wound up taking it from Loudon, and part of it, Loudon was half empty last year, and that's probably the reason and two and a half million dollars a year that the Las Vegas Ven- uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau is piling into the race. That's why they're going to Vegas, and you you have to understand it. It is a business. Bruton Smith, Marcus Smith are not on. They're not in this to just have a racetrack and have races. They're in it to make money, and they piled a lot of money into Vegas. And if you look, they, whenever they bought North Wilkesboro, whenever they bought Out Rockingham, they bought those tracks with the idea of moving a race to a bigger market, a bigger venue, a bigger where they can have a bigger crowd and be able to do more. And that's all it's about. They spend money to make money.
0: Uh, and I and I understand I understand that John, but to me as a fan I, that doesn't matter to me. I want good racing. I want to see good racing when and when you when you sit here and you tell somebody, okay, well, you know, if you show up you're going to get dates. Well, that's that's obviously not the case, John. And and that really really bothers me. But being for, being somebody from up in the New, the New Hampshire area. I want to know what you thought because I heard this the other day. Have what was there anything that was um, that you know? Uh, you said there was nobody there in New Hampshire in the fall race. Uh, the, the track president got caught doing something a couple of years ago. Does did that leave a bad taste in fans' mouths around the area that go to the racetrack there? That the that did people go? Ah, we don't want to go to New Hampshire Motor Speedway any longer. Do you think that affected the ticket sales there?
1: I think it had nothing to do with that. I don't think the track president getting his, um, doing his little misdeed, had anything to do with it. Because 80% of the people that go to Loudoun are from Massachusetts. They're from, there's a bunch from Canada, a bunch from Maine, a bunch from Vermont, a bunch from New York State come up for it. I mean, it's a whole New England thing. That little news blip, it was in and out of the news cycle in 24 hours up here. Nobody knew. Nobody even knows who the track president is at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, nor do they care. I mean, if they really wanted to uh, polish the turd and everything, they could have got rid of him, said, okay, Dick Bergeron's the track president, and Dick Bergeron's Dr. Dirt, Mr. New England Racing, building the museum up there, they could have put Dick Bergeron in as president of the racetrack, and they probably still would have had 40,000 empty seats this year. I don't know why. The racing hasn't been that bad at new hampshire over the past couple of years i think it's gotten better with as the tracks worn in but i mean the thing is the way it's been lately the package has not been that great to produ- produce good racing and if you think about this past week in atlanta the package even the lower downforce where everybody's supposed to be able to be on a better playing field everybody's supposed to put it into the driver's hands The only thing that they put in the driver's hands was the ability of Kevin Harvick to speed on pit road, or he would have stunk up the show and produced the lowest ratings they've had ever in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, that's what the crazy part was. You make all these changes, John.
1: And to me, it's,
0: I mean, there was no doubt there was a dominant car all day. And I I give credit to Stuart Haas Racing, because I think when you look at it, this is a team who we came in here thinking, oh, well, they're transitioning into Ford. Their team at. nobody's really sure as far as what they're going to do when they're not building their own chassis. They're transitioning into Ford, and they go out, when the Daytona 500, and completely dominate. Kevin Harvick led 292 laps uh, with, you know, until about 10 to go before he had his little issue speeding on pit road. So it was a dominant, dominant victory by – or dominant, dominant race by, uh, you know, by – Kevin Harvick I in, in the team. Uh, a dominant race by Kevin Harvick in the team. So I think when you look at that, you have to sit there and say, Stuart Haas racing's off to a good start. And that, that's a great thing for them. And, and you're right, though, John. It was a some. I think NASCAR looked at that, and they wanted something that was completely, completely, um, you know, a very competitive race. And they didn't really get that. Now, uh, at the end, it got interesting because Kyle Larson had to defend, had to try and fight off Brad Keselowski. Now, Larson's had a few of these here recently. Same thing with, with a couple of young drivers. Chase Elliott, the same way. A few tough losses. Larson, a lot of people were very critical that he moved high in the race track. I know it was um, you know, preferred lane most of the race, but a lot of people were critical as far as Larson moving high late in the going uh, in that race. Did, were you critical of that? Would, do you think you know, he should have taken Brad Koslowski's best lane away, or should he have stayed where he was running great, which was the bottom? We saw him move up to the top. He completely lost grip in that 42 car. And Kozlowski caught him no, with no issue and passed him with no issue. What were your thoughts on Larson's move there?
1: I think Larson was a sitting duck anyhow because about the midpoint of the race when Kozlowski had his uh, tire issue and he's coming back through the field, he's blowing everybody away. The only person he couldn't get by was Harvick. Uh, Kyle Larson was a sitting duck because, I mean, he prefers the high line as it is, so he figures if he goes up high, he can make Kozlowski go low. And Keselowski didn't do – he wasn't great on the bottom, but he was better on the bottom than Larson was on the top. And he figured – Larson figured if he took Keselowski's line away, he may not be that good on the bottom because Keselowski making his moves and everything was at the middle or the top trying to make everything because if you're going to pass Harvick, you have to go somewhere else because Harvick was a bottom feeder. He was on that yellow line all day long. So it makes it – Um, it was tough for Larson to figure out what to do. I mean, he said he did his best. He figured that was the best way to preserve the win, and that's what he wound up doing. Um, Now, Clayton, one of the things that we've talked about beforehand with the stages and everything and the added points and everything is how it could be good, but how it could be a total cluster. And I think right now, the stages show how much of a total cluster this is. Kevin Harvick's best finish is ninth. He finished 22nd in the Daytona 500, and he's your points leader.
0: Yeah, that's crazy to think about, John. Uh, you know, because this wouldn't have happened last year. If last year in this point finish, you sit there and you go, well, um, he's probably around, because he would let a lot of laps. This week, he probably would have led the most laps, so he got two points. But he probably did around somewhere between 19th or 18th in points. And he leads right now. And you have to wonder if if obviously it benefits What this format has done is it really, really benefits you from running really good, where a, a finish doesn't cost you too much. So you have to wonder what these guys are going to do, how this is going to affect the way they're going to race. Will you see these guys sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to push a little bit harder because they have the points in my back pocket where even if I wreck, I'll be okay points-wise. Will they sit there and go, you know what, I'll, I've had a great points day. I've won both stages. i got 20 extra points. If I finish, you know, fifth and I get 35 points, that's 55 points, I could outpoint the leader, the winner of this race. I can outpoint them. Yeah, I won't get the playoff points, but I can outpoint them if I stay in third, and I don't want to go crazy up there and make it three wide or, or, or put, me, put myself in a situation that'll cause me potentially any, any harm. So it'll be interesting to see how certain drivers and certain opportunities approach this. Uh, I do think it's very it, it's interesting because we have never done this in NASCAR before. Yeah, we've had the t- 10 points for leading the most laps and the five points, but that's when, that was the leader. And even the winner, yeah, you won points, but like if you finish second or third in the stages, I mean Johnny Sauter the same way. Johnny Sauter's had some issues, and uh, he's still very high in the Truck Series points. So all of that, John, is very interesting. You know, and when you think about it this way as well, uh, what the what the Duels have done. You know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. ran very well the Duels. He ran very well in the 82500, Had some issues on Sunday. He's thirty third in points, but he's it doesn't kill him right now. He's not absolutely destroyed by having two really, really bad finishes in the first two races where if this was last year, he would have been last as far as full-time drivers go in points if this was last year because of the way he's finished. And none of his doing, by the way, obviously the the speeding penalty was his fault, but the tire coming apart wasn't his fault, and the crash in the 500 when you're winning isn't your fault. But it just shows you the kind of – it doesn't kill you to wreck late in the stages, especially if you run late in a race – especially if you run good for the first two stages. So it's very, very interesting to see how these drivers will approach this moving forward.
1: The one thing that um, interests me more than anything, if you look through the point standings, it's shocking the way some of it is. Kyle Bush has struggled both weeks. Um, Michael Waltrip is ahead of Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Bush, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. in points. And Michael Waltrip only ran the Daytona 500, and thankfully he won't be running another race. But for right now, he's still ahead of those three big guns who we expect to see in the chase. It's crazy. It
0: really is crazy, John. I mean, it's it's something that I think when you look at, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, I mean, obviously we are only two races into the season. So you sit there and go, well, maybe you're making too much over two races. And you're right. We probably are making too much of two races, but it's it's to me it's just so interesting. Now you look at Harvick. Obviously, we talked about his twenty fourth place finish in his uh, in a Daytona five hundred and his uh, ninth place finish this week, and he leads points. But Kurt won a Daytona five hundred; he's second. And Brad Kozlowski won at Atlanta; he's third. Now, as the season goes along, will somebody you know? Uh, how will this affect the points? Now we got to keep in mind too is these guys are going to be running hard for points. Uh, they really will be running hard for points. I think it's something that, um, you know, they they get the fifteen points, the fifteen playoff points for winning the champ for winning the regular season championship. So that's huge, and I think that's something that these guys are going to be stri- these drivers are going to be striving for. Um, but you know. It, Look at Atlanta real quick, John. There was a couple of really good finishes there, Uh, guys that really surprised me. There was a lot of disappointments. You know, I thought Eric Jones ran very well in his first race at Atlanta in a cup car. I thought Cole Witt, uh, he finished 20th. Great run for him in a TriStar Motorsports Teams. But I'll tell you, two guys I was really shocked at. One was Jimmy Johnson. A lot of people thought he should work his way through the field. Ended up uh, 17th finishing, or spent on pit road twice there. So that, that cost him a very good run. He finished in the uh in the nineteenth position there and Kyle Bush was kind of out the lunch all day long, uh with a lap down for most of the race, finished sixteenth. So those two drivers, John, I think really, really surprised people just how bad they struggled at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Do you think it's something you know, what's going on with these speeding penalties? Like you said, we saw a lot of them at Atlanta. They put more timing zones in the pit in the pit road there. Uh more you know uh Timing zones. So that really, um, I think, put havoc into these guys on Sunday. Do you think that's something that all tracks do? Will we see this all year until everybody kind of gets used to these racetracks? Or will these drivers and these teams who push the limits so much on speeding and the lights where the lights fall uh, on their their dash, will we see the teams kind of, you know, uh, work at that? And will you see that? Or will we see this – speeding persists what are your thoughts on that
1: i think we're going to see um what i saw last year at new hampshire jimmy johnson got penalized a bunch at chicago i think he got hit twice there for speeding so what he did to start practice on saturday morning when he started happy hour all he did was go turn a, turn a full speed lap work on coming into his pit stall going down pit road making sure he wasn't speeding I mean, he practiced at the first 20 minutes of practice on Saturday. I think you're going to see a bunch of cars to include Matt Kenseth, to include Dale Earnhardt Jr., to include Kyle Busch, to include Jimmy Johnson. Friday when they practice at Vegas or maybe Saturday morning, depending on if they're just how tough the qualifying they're going to do is, they're going to practice getting on and off pit road to make sure that they don't get dinged for speeding penalties because it put them so far behind the eight ball. And if you get someone like Harvick who hit the setup perfect and they're lapping everybody, you cannot afford a speeding penalty on pit road under green because you're going to be a lap down before you blink your eye pushing two laps down, and you may never get it back.
0: Especially because they got these building cautions now. You're not going to be pitting as much under green flag as you normally would. Green flag conditions – as you normally would. So there's really no sense in doing that. Yeah, you can say, well, you can gain a spot or two on pit road, but it would really benefit teams to do that, I think, under green flags, because if you come down and, you know, you're five miles an hour slower coming to pit road than another team and five miles an hour slower and getting out than another driver, I think that under green conditions, that really has a big issue because now you're ten seconds back on the racetrack instead of just being one or two positions back. So um, I think teams will, like you said, I think they will uh, kind of, Compensate for that. I think they work at that, and I think you'll see the speeding penalties be a thing of the past. But it certainly put a a big wrench into an otherwise stale race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Real quick, John, before we move on to the big news of the day, which you guys were talking about a little earlier. Did you like the stages? Do you think they? It was different at Atlanta Motor Speedway because the tires wore out a lot. Do you think it will be different at Vegas? Uh, you know, I, I thought the tires wearing out really had a big effect on this race as far as how the stages went. You didn't see a lot of people take two tires, you didn't see a lot of people, you know, stay out under the under the uh the the new uh stage rules and the new cautions. What are what were your thoughts? Do you think we're gonna see something different here at Las Vegas on how teams approach this race?
1: I think just because the track's different at Vegas it'll make it more competitive. I mean, the only thing the stages did at Atlanta was keep more cars from going a lap down because Harvick was that just that lightning fast um the track makes a difference vegas does not eat tires the way atlanta does so they'll be able to if they really really want to push it they could probably go most of the way and hit their tire run with no problem and everything should be fine when it comes to it um it's gonna be a it's another cookie cutter track but because of the way the tires are it's a whole different experience 978-982-80,
0: 978 982 if you want to join our conversation here on Talking Circles, I agree with you, I think it's going to be,
1: uh,
0: as we move forward, we're going to really see what these stages do, I don't think it, uh, Daytona was a different animal, I think Atlanta was a different animal, because how bad the tires fall off, but once we get into Las Vegas, once we get into California, once we get into Phoenix, we'll really get a good vibe on whether or not these stages will really help competition, or whether or not they won't, the big news of the day, John, this week, and it was rumored last week, and we discussed it last week a little bit, is Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Will they get a second date on a schedule? They will. It's been officially announced today. 2018 Las Vegas Motor Speedway will get a second date, date or a playoff date, however you want to call it. And New Hampshire Motor Speedway loses its state because of that. Kentucky also lost its Xfinity Series playoff race, and um, tough day for the fans of new hampshire motor speedway like you said the attendance hasn't been as well as as good as it should have been the last couple of years uh but it's almost like losing a, a franchise in sort of a way where you might have had two you might have two franchises and now you lose one as far as comparing it to other sports go so it's got to be a frustrating day for those guys but here's my here's my thing on it john where if this is a wake-up call let's say you, you know new hampshire motor speedway says hey these fans of New Hampshire Motor Speedway say, hey, we want a second date. We would like it when we had second dates. We, we screwed up. We didn't. And they sell out one date. Here's my thing. I don't think that's going to change anything. If they keep selling out their one date and keep hammering their one date and go, man, we're selling, selling this place, I really don't think it's going to change it because it's a business. And Bruton Smith sees the potential of Las Vegas, a city, to go there instead of going to Loudon, New Hampshire, a smaller town, where there's, you know, people have to drive. Where Las Vegas motorspeed, yeah, a lot of people don't live there, but it's sort of a you can go on vacation in Las Vegas. You really can't go on vacation to Loud in New Hampshire. So, I think that's where it's it's a business for these guys, and um, it's an unfortunate reality. Get the people in New Hampshire, in your neck of the woods up there, uh, and a tough day for those folks up there, John.
1: Well, I I equated to uh, if you think about David Price. Whenever he had his free agency, they were talking about him signing a seven-year deal with the Cardinals for $180 million. And Dave Dombrowski wanted David Price to pitch for the Red Sox. So he goes out and throws $217 million at him, knowing that there's no way the Cardinals can afford $217 million over a seven-year contract. He gets David Price. Las Vegas right now is in the process of trying to make themselves as much of a major league city as possible. They've got the hockey team starting next year. They've got the Raiders going to the owners' meetings here in a couple of weeks where they're going to try to move the Raiders to Vegas in a couple years. The Convention and Visitors Bureau of Las Vegas is swimming in money because there's a tax on the casinos that they have to fill in there because they want the Convention and Visitors Bureau to drive people to Vegas to go play these slots, go play at the casinos. So the Convention and Visitors Bureau of Las Vegas is swimming in money. They're going to offer $2.5 million a year. If you really think about it, $2.5 million to Bruton Smith is chump change. But it's $2.5 million that Loudoun, New Hampshire could not offer. I mean, Loudoun's a great track. It's a great area. I mean, you can vacation up there. Lake Winnipesaukee is a half hour away, and it's a gorgeous lake. But it's not Vegas. Right. Vegas, you can do something 24 hours a day the whole time you're there and never repeat it. It's only too many times you can take the boat out in the lake and run it around before you run and see the same trees and say, oh, I saw that tree earlier, I saw that tree earlier, and you're out of things to do. It's it's sad, but it's business, and that's what's happening. I mean, sooner or later, if you look at it, how the Ogalskis and the Mattiolis back in the day kept Pocono going, is the only reason they did that is because Doc Mattioli and Bill France Jr. were buddies. Mm -hmm. I think if Brian France could take a date away from Pocono, he would in a heartbeat. I think Dover Motorsports is struggling. They have problems selling the place out. They're tearing down 30,000 seats after they expanded it. At one point, Dover was up to 125,000 seats. If they have 80,000 by the time they race this year, it will surprise me. And if they fill it up with 60,000, that's a win right now for Dover. So Dover is next to go on the chopping block. And I could see Bruton or ISC going to Dover saying, okay, we know you're struggling. You want to get rid of, I mean, you're selling the, you sold the track in Nashville. You might want to sell this one. We'll throw an offer on it. And they could end up splitting up the dates like they did before to get the second date into New Hampshire, get the date in Kentucky and get the, get the data into Texas that they've done. So I could see that playing out. Yeah.
0: I mean, in, in Dover, again, that's a hard track for me because that's one of my home track tracks. And I love going there. Um, but the facts are the facts. They haven't showed up there. We haven't, you know, the people around that area have not shown up, no doubt about it. And I think it's closer to New York market. I think Pocono helps that. I think NASCAR keeps that in mind as far as when they, when they go forward, because they love the New York market. They love everything about the New York market. And they want to be in the New York market. That's the number one market. I think as close as they can get to it, they'll keep it there. But no doubt about it, I think uh, we might see some schedule changes here. But here's my biggest problem. I talked about this last week, John, is the fact that we're going to see another mile and a half cookie cutter type racetrack in NASCAR. Now, there was also news this week that uh, Charlotte's fall race, the chase race or the playoff race, whatever you want to call it now, in 2018, we'll go to a road course. It's not going to happen in 2017. so I was kind of put the kibosh on it, but it will happen most likely in 2018. So that kind of evens out as far as the chase goes. Uh, well, we're gonna have a road course instead of a mile and a half track. But I, I just get a fearful, John, because I love short tracks. I think NASCAR needs to go to more short tracks. I think the problem with NASCAR is there are too many cookie cutter. One of the problems with NASCAR is there are too many cookie cutter tracks. Um, and I think adding a cookie cutter track and taking away a track like lab New Hampshire, which is different, a very different racetrack from where we race on anywhere else will hurt the schedule. It will hurt the staleness of the schedule because I think it's been stale with these mom half racetracks. Um, so that's the one thing I get worried about here, John, moving this state to Las Vegas motor speedway.
1: The one thing with Vegas, though, for it being a mile and a half cookie cutter, the racing has been pretty good these past few years. Um, Yeah, I understand the loss of the mile track at New Hampshire changes up things, but at the end of the day, more TV ratings... I mean, if you think about it, they have a race in New Hampshire. The track is 65 miles from Boston, and they don't draw a number in the Boston market. The Red Sox on cable out of town do better than the race at Loudon does in the, in the Boston market. Now, the one thing when we're talking Dover and Pocono, the thing that hurts both of them is there's three races within eight weeks in those two spans. And whenever I grew up in central Pennsylvania, I would go to Pocono and Dover every year, but you couldn't do both. I couldn't do all three in the summer. So I do both Poconos in the summer. I do the fall race at Dover, but if you're trying to get to the race and see everything and you've got those races near you and you want to follow the track, it's a pain to go three times in eight weeks. I mean, everybody's got family commitments. Everybody's got, everybody's got other things. Most of the people driving to Pocono, it's a three-hour trip without traffic, and it's one lane in, one lane out going into the track. They've never improved the highways coming in. So traffic getting out of Pocono, there was times for the race ended at 5 o'clock, and we didn't get out of the infield until 9 and didn't get back to State College, Pennsylvania until eleven. By the time you get, I mean, by the time you get home, you're exhausted. You got to go to work the next day. So people have come up to say, "Okay, I could just watch it on TV and screw it." And that's how it's getting to be, and that's going to be the point where I don't feel like investing four hours, five hours to watch it on TV. I'll check in here and there, or I'll pop onto my tablet and get the highlights from it.
0: Yeah, and I think also, you know, back in the eighties when you. You know, in the 90s, it was a little bit more cost friendly. I think uh, the prices were okay. You know, you could take do a decent day. Now these races have become so big, and the cost is so substantial as far as the fan's concerned. You can't do them anymore financially. You can't do well. I got to put out two hundred dollars for three hundred dollars for a family of, of four to go to a race eight weeks in a, eight. You know, three times in eight weeks. I can't do that. I'll do it once because I you know I got that money to do that, but. You know, we got house to make. snakes. So I think it's it's as the prices have gone up. I think that's really hurt the amount of races that you have. Like you said, three three dates in in eight weeks. That's a big that's a big overhaul as far as people's personal finances go. So you might only do two instead of what you used to do all four. You know, so uh, I, I think that's definitely something um, as, as far as that goes. John, there was penalties at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Big penalties at Atlanta. Uh, lug nut penalties for um, AJ Allmendinger. His team got, got penalized. An encumbered finish. Three lug nuts were not properly installed on AJ Almendinger's uh, lug nuts. Crew chief Randall Burdett was fined $65,000, suspended for the next three events, and the team has been assessed with a loss of 35 driver and owner points. Um, is this a crazy, crazy amount of, of uh, big penalty for this team for such a small infraction? I mean, obviously, loose wheels, you know, the whole thing last year with the infraction, you know, Kevin or Tony Stewart coming out and saying we need to police this, but is this a big-time, big-time penalty for sort of a very small infraction?
1: I think it's a pretty big-time penalty, and what really shows you how big it is, Kyle Bush won the Xfinity race and flunked hype, Plunked the uh, up the height of the car in the front end. He got ten. Po- his crew chief got ten points and ten thousand. And AJ Allmendinger finished the race with all four wheels on the car. Three lug nuts were either loose or not on the on the wheel. And he loses his crew chief for three weeks. Loses thirty five points, which puts him down to thirty fifth in points. Mm-hmm. It's I, there's no justice. It's like um shooting somebody in the head because they have a sport gun. Right. That's about what I look at it for that penalty.
0: And and the thing is, you know, the drivers and the teams kind of dug their own grave here last year when they wanted NASCAR to police this because NASCAR really didn't want to police this. But, you know, who knows how low Kyle Bush's car was in post race tech. It could have been one sixty fourth of an inch too low. And what does that really do as far as uh, performance code. Does it really enhance Kyle Busch's car's speed that much? But you could sort of say Kyle Busch's car, at the end of the day, was illegal, where A.J. Allmendinger's wasn't. Um, now you say, well, it was illegal because you, had, you have to finish the race with all the lug nuts on the car. That's true. So it, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, but you know, Kyle Busch, like you said, he got fined his crew chief, Scott Graves, got fined $10,000 and was suspended for one race. And the team was assessed a loss of 10 NASCAR Xfinity Series owner points. Same thing with Chase Elliott's and his 23 team. They not only, in the Camping World Truck Series, they not only had a, they didn't pass an inspection because the truck was too low, they also had lug nuts not properly installed. Now it was one, Stankiewicz, the crew chief on that team, Jeff Stankiewicz, got fined $7,500 for all of it, and they lost 10 owner points. Now, here's the problem, John. I think the biggest thing for A.J. Almendinger with those, with those lug nuts is the driver losing 35 driver points. I think if you sat there and said, listen, the crew is going to get suspended, he's going to get fined $65,000, and we'll take owner points away, I think people would be okay with that because, well, the team should should feel that impact. But A.J. Almendinger, as a driver, did not do anything wrong as far as the Uh, lug nuts are concerned. And, yes, I know you want to hit them where it hurts. But you're not doing that with the, you know, Xfinity post-race inspection or the post-race inspection in the Kimbermore Truck Series because these teams, it doesn't matter with these teams with the the owner points because they're going to qualify their way in. They're not running for the chase. So it really doesn't matter. Scott Grace, $10,000, sure, that might hurt him. You know, but I think the team would pay that probably for them anyway. So I think, John, a modification for this lug nut rule would be to maybe just say, you know what, we're not going to penalize the, drivers, the driver points because A.J. Armendinger really didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, but do you think teams would sit there and say, well, then, okay, if we, you take away our driver points, we're not, if you don't take away our driver points, we're going to leave lug nuts uninstalled. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think the biggest place where it hurts is the driver points because the driver is the one who makes the playoffs, not the car, not the owner, not the crew chief. The driver points is what determines whether or not you make the playoffs. So that's where it hurts the most, and that's why they put the hammer down the way they did. The one thing is, and this is where it it does suck, that it seems like the justice system um, is a little – really. I mean, it really pounded A.J. Allmendinger compared to what else happened in the Xfinity and the truck race. The problem is if the pitching rubber 60 feet, 6 inches from home plate and you decide you're going to stand there at 55 and th- 55 feet away and throw it in, you're illegal. There's rules. If right. you're legal, you win. If you're illegal, you'll lose. I mean, that's one of the things. In, I mean, I, hear, I hate the encumbered wind turn. It's stupid, I know it's yeah. the old France family tradition that they want everybody to leave the track knowing who won the race. If they fail post-race inspection, guess what? Second place is your winner.
0: And that's, and that's the way theory, it should be. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that theory to me as far as people leaving the track knowing who won a race is so old school. I mean it's not nineteen ninety six anymore. We're gonna you know, we won't find out the winner of the day of the race until the next day where we'll read it in the newspaper. We have Twitter, we have Facebook. People are on smartphones constantly. If you come out and say, Listen, Kyle Bush failed post race inspection, he's no longer the winner. We're going to get the win to this guy. People are going to say, oh, okay, like we see, we see in a snowball derby and that race doesn't get nearly the publicity. doesn't have near the media coverage that, you know, a, a race at Atlanta motor speedway would have. So I don't understand that. And I think people respect that as far as taking the win away, because at least it does something to these teams. Kyle Busch is running the Xfinity series. And I talked to a Kyle Busch fan and they believe this to wholeheartedly. I don't think it's true, but they want, to be, Kyle Busch and his fans want to be one of two drivers ever to win 200 NASCAR races, Richard Petty and Kyle Busch. Now, it's completely different, in my opinion, because Kyle's going to win Xfinity truck races, and Richard Petty won all-cup races. So, it's completely different, but they want that. That's something I think Kyle Busch is trying to take pride in. That's part of the reason why he's running all these races. So, if you take the win away, Kyle Bush is going to say, listen, I don't care what we got to do, get this car legal. If Joe goes Racing and Nas Energy Drink you know, looks at it and says, man, we got that kind of win taken away from us, it would put it in the back of their mind not to do it again. Now they just kind of look at it and laugh and go, ah, we have the money. We don't worry about it. Loss of 10 owner points, who cares? You know what I mean? It, that, to me, and that's what I agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think that theory of the franchise saying, well, we have to make sure the fans know uh, who wins the race when they walk out, is so old school because, we, like I said, we can find out the moment that is announced. The majority of the fans, 90% of the fans, would find out whether it was Twitter, whether it was uh, Sirius XM Radio. They would find out that as soon as that was announced. So I think that's very old school, and I just don't understand the logic behind that anymore.
1: Well, let's put it this way. Before they went green in the truck race Saturday, they knew that Kyle Busch failed inspection. They mentioned it on the truck race that Kyle Busch failed inspection. So the people hadn't left the track yet because it was a doubleheader race. If you went for the Xfinity race, you're going to stay for the truck race. If you're there to see it, you might as well see both. Um, But as I thought about it, there's one other thing that probably plays in more than as much as the old France family. They want the people to, when they leave the track, they want to know who the winner is for something like this. I mean, yeah, it's three lug nuts for AJ Allmendinger. He lost his crew chief for three races and he lost 35 owner points and driver points. But let's say they take the win away. What happens to Carl? Do they want to be associated with a cheater? Look at what happened to Napa whenever the spin gate at Richmond happened a few years ago with Clint Boyer and getting uh making sure TrueX made the chase. Very good point. The sponsor could end up saying, hey. If they can't play within the rules, I'm out. And they're struggling to get sponsorship right now. I mean, you look, Clint Boyer's got Haas Automations on the 14 car for the second week in a row. Mm -hmm. Matt Kenseth just announced Peak for a couple races because they were going to go to Vegas this week and they were going to go to California the next week or two weeks later and have nothing on the car. Joe Gibbs Racing, a former champion in Matt Kenseth, and a car that runs great, it's been in the championship ch- uh, playoffs every year. Matt Kenseth's been in that car, and they were going to go with nothing on it. I mean, heck, you look, the yeah. uh, 37 of James Busher. it's nice to have new sponsors come in, but we got Natty Light. <laughs> every, che- every cheap beer that a kid in college can drink whenever you, you get liquored up for four bucks with Natty Light, but that's what James is going to have on his car this week. I mean, everybody's struggling to get sponsorship. So if you take the win away, you never know. The sponsor may just say, hey, you do it one more time, I'm out.
0: Yeah, and you know what, though, John? That, would be, that wouldn't be would – I mean, yeah, I, I, I think NASCAR might look at that, and that might have something to do with it. Absolutely, I agree with you on that. But, again, you have to make it where these teams sit there and go, we don't want to do that. And I think right now in the Xfinity Truck Series, when they have these Cup guys and they're at a big time advantage with these cup guys on a cup weekend during the cup race. They're at a big advantage anyway. If they cheat they go, Eh, you know what? It doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, you know, an Almondinger loses his coochie for three weeks. With the technology everything and everything now, that's not as big as a deal. He's gonna lose basically his coochie for you know, three races. Basically he's gonna lose him at the racetrack. But you know, with the technology you can plug into the EFI, you can see everything. So it's not that as big of a deal as it was even five, even ten years ago. So um I think that even that isn't you know might not be stiff enough as far as losing Scott Graves for one week. Um so yeah, it's something that I don't think NASCAR is gonna change, but maybe they should look at. Absolutely, I agree with you there. Um nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero here, last segment here on Talking in Circles. John, there was a. They announced the Hall of Fam- New five new Hall of Fame inductees. Obviously, we have to have twenty each time. Our twenty-five, excuse me, each time we go into a uh, year to vote for Hall of Famers, and these are just five new um, nominees for the Hall of Fame. I should say people who who could be nominated. Uh, Roger Pensky, Joe Gibbs, Bobby Labani, Red Farmer, and Davey Allison. Uh, Davey, obviously. Nineteen Cup wins, um, you know. Died in his prime. Probably would have won a ton of championships and a ton more races. Red Farmer did a lot of. Gr- it was great in the uh, Sportsman Series. Reporters, the Xfinity Series was great in that. Part of, <clears> the, <throat> Alabama, part of the Alabama game. Bobby Labonte, you know, he's got a bunch of wins in Cup. Two thousand Series champion. We know Joe Gibbs' resume. He's been great. And Roger Penske, uh, you know, his NASCAR career has been great since he came in this back. Came back in the sport in 1991. Uh, was there of that sort of surprised you to get on that list, John, as far as these these new people were concerned in the Hall of Fame where you said, wow, I'm surprised that person got in. I really wasn't expecting them to get in. I'm really surprised they got in. Uh, what was your take on the new nominees for the NASCAR Hall of Fame?
1: I was surprised with Red Farmer. I love Red Farmer. The guy's probably 130 years old now will still put a helmet on, go out on a dirt track and run. I'm surprised he was nominated, though, because Red Farmer's a legend that doesn't have the big stats to back it up. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think Davey Allison, and we've talked, we had a debate about this one time, whether or not he was a Hall of Famer. And 19 wins? Eh, Not sure. But he got killed in the prime of his career. He probably would have had 40 50 wins because he had a great crew, he had a great team. You look at what happened with Robert Yates Racing after he left. Larry McReynolds kept winning with Ernie Irvin. They built the Dale Jarrett team, and they won a championship. I think Ernie, I mean, uh, Davy Allison would have won a championship, probably would have won 40, 50 races, but you can't vote on what he could have done. I think Joe Gibbs is a lock. Because he's got 140 wins as a cup owner. He's got, I think he's, what, third in history now in cup wins already. And he didn't start the team until 1991. Right. He's done it in 25 years. Uh, the only people ahead of him, I believe, are Petty Enterprises and Hendrick Motorsports. He's done it in 25 years. He's done a heck of a job considering he was a football coach who just wanted to try this to give, us, give his family something to do and try to build something after the football program. I think Bobby Labonte's a lock. How do you say no to a cup champion? Who I Who has been consistent whenever he was running. He ran well for Bill Davis. He ran great for Joe Gibbs all those years. He hung around probably a little too long because that's what drivers do. But I think Bobby, Bobby Labonte's career is a Hall of Fame career. So out of this it, group, Roger Penske's probably the least – Uh, probably has the least amount of stats in the NASCAR ranks. But for the love of God, he's Roger Penske. He built Michigan. He built California. He built up the team with Rusty Wallace. He built up the team with Ryan Newman. Then he had Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano. Right now, he's one of the strongest teams in the series. But I don't think of the group, Roger Penske should get in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. But he's Roger freaking Penske. Who's going right. to stop them?
0: Well, I think Penske belongs in. And let me say this. We have a caller here, and I'll get through his call in a minute. Um, but I think when you look at the drivers, my stance has changed. Because I always said, well, if you have 20 wins, that's sort of like 300 wins. In, in, you know, yada, yada, yada. But when you think about it this way, I mean, what is the percentage of guys who have won 15 races in cup that have run in the series? I mean, it's probably, you know, in the in the 5%. Are we going to leave the top 5% of NASCAR Cup drivers of all time out of the NASCAR Hall of Fame because we're not happy they didn't get 20 wins? It's an interesting thought to think about because you can argue, and I guarantee you this, baseball players of all time, top 5% of baseball players of all time are all in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So keep that in mind here as we get the caller. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hey, Louie. What do you want to discuss about? You want to talk about something about the Hall of Fame? Sure. I, I think uh, I think there's some things that I'd like to talk about on there for sure. Uh, I agree with you about Roger Penske. I'm not even sure Roger Belong, uh, you know has the the backing to get in right now. I mean, I know he built some speedways and but he won one championship with Brad Keselowski in 2012. Um, and and there was a there was a, quite a quite a very good ten years of the run here since he's come back that he really wasn't a team that you know was was a top level team. He struggled for a lot of years. You know, right towards the tail end of Rusty Wallace's tenure there they struggled. Uh in the late two thousands they struggled, right before, you know, Brad Keselowski started on his run, they weren't one of the best teams out there either. So there were some times where they struggled there. And to me, you know, Joe Gibbs has been solidly a, a winner and a contender every single year he's been here. So, um more than more than Roger, in my opinion, I, I understand he's Roger Penske, but you know we're just talking about strictly NASCAR here. So, but I think Davy Allison belongs in. I really do, and I, and I tell you guys, I know that you know I, I'm one of these fans who doesn't like cheesiness and doesn't like gimmicks and doesn't like all of that. But wouldn't it be something to put Robert Yates and Davy Allison in the Hall of Fame the same year? Robert, we know his health isn't great right now. Uh, If we could put them, I think they both belong in, especially Robert Yates belongs in. If we put them both in in the same year, I think that'd be great for the Hall of Fame. I think it would go a long way into selling tickets for the Hall of Fame and giving it some legitimacy. I agree. I think it would be awesome to see that. I mean, those guys, you know, Davey, when he originally signed there, signed a lifetime contract to drive for Robert Yates. And, uh, you know, he could have gone other places. He probably could have ran for his dad's team for a little bit and maybe helped helped the family business a little bit and and been there, but he stuck with Robert Yates, and that team really got great. And even it would have been interesting to see the loyalty. I think Davey was as loyal as a lawyer could get. Uh, he would have stayed there even through maybe the, the the bad times of Robert Yates towards the end of the you know mid mid to the end of the 2000s. So um, it would be great to see those guys going because they really together built a dynasty. And unfortunately for Davey, he was never here to see it fully play out. But Robert Yates certainly was. John,
1: I think uh, that'd be priceless. And I can promise you, I was as big a Davy Allison fan as there was. Uh, I was heartbroken whenever the helicopter crashed at Talladega. I think Davy Allison could have easily won 40, 50 races. The other guy who I'd like to see if they're going to put Davy on the list, I'd like to see Tim Richmond be nominated. Mm. Nobody could drive a race car like Tim Richmond. That guy took crap stuff. And this is before Hendrick was Hendrick. He'd win. And the 25 was always considered the experiment car at Hendrick Motorsports. And somehow Tim Richmond always found a way to win in that car. I mean, you thought Denny Hamlin when he first came to Pocono was something special there. Tim Richmond at Pocono was amazing. Tim Richmond on a road course was amazing. Tim Richmond could have done almost anything, but Davey Allison Robert Yates going in together would be phenomenal. The only thing that would make it even better for me is Larry Mack to go in with him. Because Larry (laughs) Mack did, I mean, he built Robert Yates Racing for him. I mean, Robert was a hell of an engine guy. But Larry Mack built the cars, built the chassis, put the teams together. It was a perfect storm, the three of them working everything they did. And I don't, if Davey would have lived, I'm not sure there would have been the fall off at Robert Yates racing toward the end because Davey, there would have been no Ricky Rudd. There would have been no Ernie Irvin who knows there may not have been a second team because the reason Jarrett was there to begin with was to fill in for Ernie when he got hurt. So they made a second team for Jarrett. So it might've still continued with Davey running great. Larry Mack may never have won a Daytona 500 with Earnhardt because Larry Mack would have never left Davey Allison. Yeah,
0: John. I always say, and Leo I, I want your opinion on on who you think should be on the list that's not there. But I always say, if Davey, and this is no disrespect to Dale Jarrett, and I don't want this to come off the, that Dale Jarrett, but if Davey uh, as negative on Dale Jarrett, but if Davey Allison stayed alive, I always said it would be Yates Fenway Racing, not Roush Fenway Racing. As far as for years we saw Roush Fenway be the premium forward team, and I think Robert Yates even though they had a lot of success with Dale Jarrett. That 28 car never had the success again it had when Davey was behind the wheel, no doubt about it. I mean, 94 with Ernie, they were getting there. Ernie was great, and then that accident happened. When Ernie came back, he was never the same driver for whatever reason. But, Lee, Ernie Irvin's another guy. You know, if you're going to put Davy Allison in, and, and John mentioned Tim Richmond, and I think Tim Richmond's 86 season is one of the best ever as far as a guy who just figured it all out. I mean, he came back in 87 sick as a dog. He was dying, and he came back in 87 and won twice. But Ernie Irvin's another guy where it's going to be interesting to see how, they, how it plays out with his career, because a guy who had a lot of untapped potential and got hurt really before he hit his stride with Robert Yates racing. It's an interesting one. and in You know, guys, there has to be a line somewhere. And I think a lot of people are, are a little reluctant to put guys like Ernie in and and another one that's gonna be a toss up is Alan Kowicki, because mm-hmm. uh Alan raced for so long for so little, only had five wins but he won a championship and how much does a championship how much of a championship does hold weight now? I understand Alan was not independent, but Hooters was paying a lot of money for that race car. He was certainly not underfunded, um, for that team. And 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 honestly, he probably had funding equal with everybody else, so he was still behind the eight ball. So um, I think he should be in, but there's a lot of debate with those guys, and there does have to be a line somewhere. And and it's, it's interesting. I think Tim Richmond, uh, you have to look at lasting legacy too. I'm not sure Ernie Irvin le- left the legacy on the sport as much as Kowicki did, or as much as even Tim Richmond did, or nowhere near what Davey Allison did. Um, you know, and, and Richmond was a guy that I think everybody loved. Everybody, you know, everybody talks about. What you don't like in people Richmond was cocky Richmond was good looking Richmond was wealthy Richmond was Everything that you it Gave you every reason Not to like him And everybody loved him And that's just the way he was And he left such a lasting legacy On the sport That I think you must have to put him in But a guy like Ernie Irvin Didn't have that kind of pizzazz And I'm not sure he left that legacy On the sport So it's very difficult We're going to walk a fine line here In a few years About whether or not Who gets in And who doesn't And that's an interesting one for sure Yeah, and and I agree, and I think there's a lot of names out there like that. And I've always said it'll be very interesting to me. If you put Bobby Labonte in, then Ricky Rudd belongs in too because of what Ricky did with his own deal and stuff like that. John, real quick here, uh, what do you think we're going to see at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this week? And do you think the Fords will continue to dominate?
1: I haven't seen any reason why they won't. I mean, Doug Yates has stepped up with the horsepower, and I'm sorry, until somebody proves different, Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers are the best combination out there. Um, and Chad and Jimmy have struggled this year. They may have the hangover from the championship and they'll probably get their act together and be there when they need to be. But until somebody proves something different this year, I mean, Harvick's won three stages. He's leading the points and he hasn't finished better than ninth yet. Sooner or later, it's all going to get put together and Harvick's going to be sitting in victory lane.
0: I agree with that. No doubt about it. He's great. And Phoenix is coming up and that's his best racetrack. Leaving Virginia. Thank you so much for helping us out tonight and for your call. John Harlow, great job as always. We'll be back here next week after Las Vegas and talking circles. Good night, everybody.